Your congregation, I invite you to turn in God's holy word to Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 2, and we'll begin reading with verse 24. Verse 24, remember um, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream that greatly troubled him, and uh, the king wanted the, the dream to be told him and the interpretation of it. And Daniel uh, beseeches the God in heaven to reveal that to him, and he does, and he praises God for it. And now he's come bef- coming before the king to explain uh, the dream. Daniel chapter 2, verse 24. Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I will tell the king the interpretation. Then Arioch quickly brought Daniel before the king and said thus to him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah who will make known to the king the interpretation. And the king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? And Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your, of your head upon your bed were these. As for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while on your bed about what would come to pass after this. And he who reveals, reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. But as for me, this secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living, but for our sakes who made known the interpretation to the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your heart. You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. This image head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron and clay, the bronze and the silver and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that the trace of them was, so no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is a dream. Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. You, O king, are king of kings, are a king of kings. For the Lord, for the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heaven. He has given them into your hand and has made you ruler over them all. You are this head of gold. But after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours, then another, a third kingdom of bronze, 
which shall rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything. And like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. Whereas you saw the feet and the toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. Yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, and they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and a kingdom shall, shall be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face prostrate before Daniel and commanded that they should present an offering and incense to him. The king answered Daniel and said, Truly your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and the revealer of secrets. Since you could reveal this secret, then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. Also Daniel petitioned the king, and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat at the gate of the king. Amen. May God bless the reading of his precious and infallible word. May he also bless us in the exposition of it. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, last week we left with a bit of suspense. For Daniel was brought before the king who was deeply troubled by the dream that he had. And as he had that dream and none of the magicians and the wise men and the soothsayers, none of them could tell him the interpretation of it, could not even tell him what that dream was. And so even as his right-hand man, Ariak, was supposed to go and kill all of these wise men, including Daniel, Daniel asked for time and through prayer and supplication, he receives a revelation of this dream and the interpretation from the God who is in heaven. And so now Daniel here is brought before this deeply troubled king by a man who was supposed to actually take his life. And he comes before the king in verse 26, and he's asked this question, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? And Daniel answers, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king, but there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. And he has made known to you, King Nebuchadnezzar, what 
will be in the latter days. And if you had to pick up one truth from all of Scripture that covers really everything, you might also say, as the psalmist does, the Lord reigns. Or as Daniel says here, there is a God in heaven. And this is why we as Christians can face the challenges of our day, the challenges that of our future, and, and to embrace them with hope and confidence, with great expectation in the Lord. And this is, on the, same hand, on the other hand, the real need for anyone who has not come to the Lord Jesus Christ and who does not understand His kingdom to come to Him even today in repentance to tremble before the God in heaven, even as Nebuchadnezzar did. Really, when we look at this truth as it permeates this chapter that there is a God in heaven, we we see especially the urgency of knowing this God in heaven when we see the interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream and really the big picture of God's kingdom. In this world that we live in today, we can be thankful for the many blessings we do have in North America. Because throughout this world, there is a brutal treatment of Christians throughout it. There's probably been no time as the present of such persecution. People dying for Christ's sake, suffering for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all around the world, it prides itself in attacking Christians. Whether it be physical persecution or even maybe other times mental persecution and uh, persecution of ideas, especially as we even find, especially in Western world and even in our nation, more of a persecution of, of ideas and a mental persecution, a persecution in the university classrooms, a persecution from the news media, a persecution sometimes even through court decisions. And, and yet we might ask ourselves as Christians, what is the reason of the hope that lies within us? What, what courage do we have to be a Christian living in such a world as we live in today? And the answer is, the Lord reigns. There is a God who is in heaven. And His kingdom, His kingdom is unshakable. And He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I'd like to look at this in Daniel chapter 2 here with this theme. God's kingdom revealed in Babylon. And we'll see that with three thoughts. First of all, God shakes the kingdoms of this world. God shakes the kingdoms of this world. Secondly, God's kingdom cannot be shaken. And thirdly, God is king of kings. Well, as Daniel begins the interpretation of this dream, he he identifies this dream of Nebuchadnezzar. And he he says says to him, O king, you were watching and behold a great image. There was an image Um. In, in Nebuchadnezzar's dream that was so troubling to him, a great image. This image was is, uh, like a, a skyscraper. It was huge. 
better. We don't know exactly how tall this image was in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, but even as he portrays the head of this image in the next chapter in Daniel 3, which we'll look at next Lord's Day, um, that, that head that Nebuchadnezzar was going to make would be 90 feet tall itself. This, this image must have been absolutely huge in the dream of Nebuchadnezzar. And as this towering statue looms over Nebuchadnezzar in his dream, he, he's, he's perplexed by how large it is. Probably stand beside a skyscraper and as a child, you, you look up to the top and, and as you're looking up, you're almost falling backwards and you fall flat on your back. It was this kind of image. It was huge. It was a great image. Secondly, this, this image was filled with, with splendor. Notice our text says, this great image whose splendor was excellent stood before you. Now, this image, as go on to explain it in, in later verses, the, the head had, had, had pure polished gold. It gleamed in the sun. Its chest and arms were made out of silver. Its thighs were of bronze and its Legs were a strange mixture of, of iron and clay. And, and, and the most impressive part was, was the head, the gold shining head. I remember in Iowa, we used to have a, a our Capitol building in Des Moines, Iowa, had, had a, a dome on it that, that uh, was overladen with gold. And you could see it for miles away from, from the highway, especially as the sun would shine upon it. And here, there's a, it's an idea of splendor. And Nebuchadnezzar is told, you, O king, are this head of gold. <clears throat> Maybe he even sees his own face reflected in this head. So it was a head of, of, of rich splendor. Thirdly, it was also a head, or it was a statue that had a, had a form that was awesome. Now this... this um, this, this word awesome in our text means that, that it was terrifying. It was terrifying. The statutes made in those days of their gods and uh, were of a war, especially the gods of war, were gruesome and intimidating. They were, they were terrifying. And, and no wonder this gave him nightmares as he looks at this statute and, uh, and he saw the awesomeness, the terrifying nature of, of this, of this um, statute. Well, what, what was the significance then of this image? Well, we don't need to look far because Daniel tells us the significance. It represents four earthly powers. It represents these four earthly powers. And we, we can look back, and we can look back, and we can know that these powers were the Babylonian power of Nebuchadnezzar and also then the Persians under King Cyrus and then the 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 Greek world power, and then the Roman world power, which, which was in power at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And even though these world empires were very impressive, very impressive, they were impressive by their greatness and their, their, their influence throughout the world. Many would be allured by their splendor. Others would be terrified by how awesome and how mighty and powerful they are. Just think even of the crucifixion itself and how terrifying some of the treatments were even by the Roman Empire. 
And yet, these empires, although they could frighten and discourage God's people in those days, however, however, uh, however these, these world empires would be seen, all they're representing are kingdoms of men. Kingdoms of men. Kingdoms that come and kingdoms that go. And, and we might also think about how these empires represent the kingdoms of our world even in this day. It wasn't that terribly many years ago. Under the British in 1700s or so that, that the British used to brag about how the sun never would go down on the British Empire. It would be a forever empire. Hitler wanted to establish a, a thousand-year reign. There's world powers even of our recent days. The Soviet Union and, 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 and China and, and the U.S. and so on. And, and all want to make a name for themselves, an empire for themselves, a kingdom for them, themselves. And a, a, a kingdom that will last forever type of kingdom. And yet even as many of these kingdoms, even Western culture and North America, whether it be the U.S. or Canada, sometimes as we brag about how we are the greatest nations in this earth, we are ones of, that are going to promote liberty and truth and light to, to the whole world and, and democracy and so on. And, and we have these things also in our own culture that we might assume as the greatest ideas of what a kingdom ought to be. Even the world picks up on this. And, and you have all kinds of world organizations, the UN and, and so on. And as the Western world begins to brag that they finally come to understanding and through, through their rationale that indeed they have it all, we have it all figured out. And we have to create a place of equality and peace and prosperity. And so... So we need to change all kinds of policies in our world through, through all kinds of different organizations that would, that would be in favor of climate, uh, promoting things to, to crush climate change and, and to crush viruses through world health organizations and, and, and all of these things. And all of it amounts to is human activity and human power and human influence. Yes, and it might be impressive. It might be imposing. It might even be frightening to look at these statutes of our day rising up out of the ground, as it were. And yet, at the same time, we recognize the same image that Nebuchadnezzar himself saw when it comes to any kind of kingdom outside of God. And really, What's so important then is to know the interpretation of this dream. And Daniel gets to that. He don't just show the dream, but, but he also shows the interpretation of it. And notice in the interpretation as I read it, notice how God shakes each one of these kingdoms. As he addresses King Nebuchadnezzar in verse 37, he says, You, O king, are a king of kings. For the God in heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory, and so on. But after you, in verse 39, shall arise another kingdom inferior to you, and then another kingdom, and another kingdom. 
And, and these kingdoms, though they are, uh, though, though they are um, splendous and terrifying and, and, and filled with greatness, they all will have weaknesses. They will all have weaknesses. And so we can first of all notice from this interpretation that there is no forever kingdom here on earth. Each time, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, your kingdom will be followed by another kingdom, and then another kingdom, and yet another kingdom. And if we look at history, there's been many, many more kingdoms. It's just like Psalter 136, which which we often sing. And it says it, it says it very succinctly. Yet within their heart they say that their houses are for a, that their dwelling places grand shall for generations stand. To their lands they give their name in their hope of lasting fame. But man's honor quickly flies and like a lowly beast he dies. There is no forever kingdom on earth. There is no forever kingdom in man's estimation. Secondly, notice that each kingdom is weak. Some are more strong. Some are more glorious. Some are more brightly shining. Some have gold on its head, silver on its chest, or bronze on its thighs. Others are more dim like the feet of iron and clay, but They have more strength, and yet they're not perfectly strong because that clay gives it also a fragile nature. It's mixed with clay, so it's partly strong and partly fragile. Each kingdom has its weakness. No kingdom can stand indefinitely. But thirdly, and most importantly, notice this. Notice that any power, any strength, And any glory of any of these temporary kingdoms is given by the God of heaven. Let me read that again, verse 37. You, O king, are a king of kings. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom. He's given you power. He's given you strength. He's given you glory. And all that come under your dominion, He has given you them all, and He has made you ruler over them all. All of this is given by God. He is the giver of all things. And that ought to humble kings of this world, leaders of this world, and every single one of us listening today. It ought to humble us before God, even as we seek to build our earthly kingdoms, that we would remember that we are to be humble in the sight of God because He is the giver of every good gift. We need to use these gifts that God gives us, yes, to His glory, but we must also always give credit to whom credit is due, give honor to whom honor is due, for He is the giver of all these gifts. There is no earthly kingdom that will be a forever kingdom. There's no earthly kingdom that will have ultimate strength and power and glory. Because we haven't mentioned yet the most disturbing part of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, for Nebuchadnezzar anyway. 
For Nebuchadnezzar, as he, as he saw this dream, he watched. And verse 34, And he watched while the stone was cut out without hands. It just, just appeared. And it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them to pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that there was no trace of them to be found. Here, this towering statue stands as a huge skyscraper and then something unexpected happens. Out of nowhere, unexpectedly, there's this stone that is carved out of a rock without any human hand. And it just appears and this stone is hurled at the, at the feet of the statue and it crumbles to dust. And it's like the chaff on a threshing floor just blows away and you can't find it anymore. It's almost like, it's almost like that stone that David picked up when he came and opposed Goliath. And that stone, as it was slung, it strikes Goliath right in the head and, and it drops him to the ground. I can, can you imagine what this does to King Nebuchadnezzar? He's this head of gold and now he becomes this heap of chaff and the wind will blow it away and it'll be seen no more. I imagine Daniel must have been even terrified to even give the interpretation of this dream. And yet, this is what happens when God shakes the kingdoms of this world. And He even shakes us even today at the reality of our weakness and our frailty in life and how quickly earthly treasures can be taken away. Unexpectedly, out of nowhere, comes one challenge or another and all can be taken away. I think of Psalm number 1 where we read in verse 4, that the ungodly are not like those godly who, who are thriving. But the ungodly are not so. They are like the chaff which the wind blows away. Or Psalm 37, verse 9, where we find that the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while the wicked you shall look and it shall be no more. You shall look for their place and it shall be no more, says the psalmist. And yet the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. The psalmist could be confident of that because he knew of another kingdom, not the shaking kingdoms of this world, but the unshakable kingdom of God. And that's what we see secondly. God's kingdom cannot be shaken. In verse 44, we read these words. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. The kingdom shall not be left over to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. That, that stone, as we see earlier, in, uh, that, that crushed, crushed the, the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold, this, this stone became a mountain and it filled the whole earth. And now this kingdom, 
This kingdom shall stand forever. And the dream is certain, and the interpretation, says Daniel, is sure. The message of this dream, the message of God's kingdom not being able to be shaken, must have given Daniel great encouragement as he come before a very powerful king, Nebuchadnezzar, because he came before him in the strength of an all-powerful God and king who is in heaven. And God is showing here that he will replace every kingdom and bring it into his everlasting kingdom. And how does he do that? Why is God's kingdom Why can it not be shaken? Well, he's given his only begotten son. And he comes to this world. And he comes in the time of the Roman Empire. In the time where the feet were there of the the iron and the clay. And he comes out of nowhere, as it were. He comes onto the pages of history in the flesh. And he announces that the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven has arrived. Jesus, he is that rock. He is that stone that God has fashioned. He has formed out of nothing. And he comes as the everlasting kingdom of God. He comes as that stone that hits the feet of the Roman statute and crushes, crushes, this statue, and all the kingdoms of this world. And yet, as we think about the Lord Jesus Christ in this life, and maybe even the first century after his life, you might even think that the Roman Empire would never fade or would never perish, and afflicted great, great persecution even upon the disciples and the apostles. Yet this kingdom did fade and it did perish even as the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ continued to grow throughout the Roman Empire and throughout throughout the world. Indeed, it smashed, it crushed this statue and became a mountain that filled the entire earth because our Lord Jesus Christ ascended to heaven and was given all power and dominion both in heaven and and in earth. He is head over all exalted. And he seat, is seated at the right hand of God. And he's putting his and our enemies under his footstool. And he's taking from there that rod of iron. As we find in Psalm 2. And he dashes to pieces the kingdoms of this world. And so for a Christian. We, we, our hope is in God's unshakable kingdom. As we find in Hebrews chapter 12, we therefore receiving a kingdom that cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. This means that God's kingdom towers and it excels all of the kingdoms of this world. It's more splendorous. It's, it's more, it's, it's greater, it's, It's more terrifying even than all the kingdoms of this world. And so for us, it means to surrender to Him. To surrender and submit to Him and His kingdom, which is an enduring kingdom, 
which is a victorious kingdom. That we, in this life, would live for His kingdom. That we would spend ourselves well, day by day, in service to Him in this kingdom. That we would make sacrifices in this life for His kingdom. That, that, that was Daniel's encouragement. That's what Daniel did. God is king of his kingdom, and it's an unshakable kingdom, and his word is certain, and he can bring that word right into the hearing of King Nebuchadnezzar. And even though Daniel couldn't name the four kingdoms, we, we look back in history and we can think about the kingdoms of the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, and the Romans. And it shows us indeed that God is already revealing this in Babylon, showing us indeed He is really in control. How much more ought that not to encourage us today when we wonder sometimes how things will play out in our history, how things will unfold in Canadian history even. We don't know that, but God, the God of heaven knows that. And sometimes God will bring us great challenges. Great challenges. Indeed, He'll probably even bring us persecution and, and we'll feel like we're in exile. Maybe we already do to some degree. But His kingdom, it will never be stopped. It's still growing. It's like that mountain filling the whole earth, spreading around the world. And you see many places in this world where God's kingdom is growing exponentially in numbers of converts. You see, the kingdom of God is not like a political kingdom of this world. It's not a, a kingdom that can be replaced by the next election. It cannot be overthrown by a confidence vote. God's kingdom is an eternal kingdom. And that's what would be encouraging for Daniel. And yet, we also ought to be encouraged by this. Especially when we find ourselves many times murmuring and complaining, looking and thinking back to, to those, those times in the past when, when maybe we could all gather together in church and, 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 and maybe we start to get angry and vent and we become frustrated and almost panicky and anxiety, filled with anxiety. You see, this understanding of who God is and His kingdom that cannot be shaken, it ought to, it ought to rather humble us in prayer. It ought to give us a calm and confident trust in God who is sovereign and in control of all things, who has a kingdom that cannot be shaken. This doesn't mean that the clouds of persecution are not building. Or maybe even that we don't already feel some of the winds of that storm stirring even within our, our, our culture. But the question is this. How will we stand? How will we serve the King who has an unshakable kingdom? How will we do that in the face of persecution? How will we do that when we lose our jobs because of our faith? How will we do that when we are forbidden to worship because of our faith. You see, 
Daniel has a lot to teach us, even in the chapters to come. God's kingdom, though, for him, for his friends, and what it needs to be for us is that it's an unshakable, unsmashable kingdom. And though it might seem small in this world, I mean, we look at our own church, and we have a a wonderful-sized church, small federation, and yet in a community that is so large, and and how many people don't we pass by as we go to church who who have no understanding of of the kingdom of God and the King, the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, many who would count the kingdom of God as foolishness. And the King Jesus as a rock of offense, a stumbling block, Oh, dear congregation, despite the smallness of who we are, even as Christians in this world, let us never forget, it's not about the size. It's not about being intimidating. It's not about being imposing and being bullies. It's about the King of the kingdom. It's about Him and service unto Him taking the weak means, taking the gospel, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, which does seem to be weakness and foolishness to the world, to take it and to cast it at the feet of the kingdoms of this earth and to know that God takes that word through His unshakable kingdom and crushes, crushes the kingdoms of this world. You know, we might be taken into exile like Daniel was. But guess what? Daniel's God didn't go into exile. And neither does our God. He is the one who is in control. And he is not a king of kings, but he is the king of kings. Nebuchadnezzar had to learn this. And he, he apparently here understood something of it as we read in verse 46. That's our third point. God is king of king, the king of kings. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face prostrate before Daniel and commanded that they should present an offering of incense to him. And he, he, he answers Daniel and says, Truly your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, the revealer of secrets. He acknowledges that God is king of kings. And indeed, this is, this is true. The Lord alone remains an exalted one. Not a king of kings, but the king of kings. Notice, Nebuchadnezzar was told that he was a king of kings. And yet, God shows himself and reveals himself to Nebuchadnezzar as the king of kings. Imagine Nebuchadnezzar here, thinking about this. He was indeed a great king. And Nebuchadnezzar thought he would take these Hebrew slave boys. He's going to make something out of them. He's going to mold them according to what he wants them to do and what he wants them to be for him. As he examined them in chapter 1, he found them to be ten times wiser than the rest of all of his wise men. 
And yet, when a crisis comes, he didn't even go to them. And now God is shaking him up, as it were, that there's a God in heaven. He has come, and he has shown Nebuchadnezzar, your kingdom will end. But my kingdom will indeed stand forever. Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel doesn't need your great gifts. Daniel doesn't need your excellent food. Daniel doesn't need your excellent advice. Daniel needs me, and you need me, for I am the king of kings. Nebuchadnezzar, you thought you were going to re-educate Daniel. You were going to show him how weak and how defeated his gods were. But now Daniel is showing you that his God is King of kings and Lord of lords. Daniel, I, or sorry, God, God says, Nebuchadnezzar, I am going to lay you flat on your face before Daniel. This king, he bows before he bows before the people of God. It's too bad he didn't bow before God himself. He acknowledges him. We'll see that next week. He acknowledges him. But here he's bowing before Daniel. He's bowing before Daniel. But this is also a truth of God's word, isn't it? This king... Here he's, he's, he's bowing before his people, just almost like in Revelation 3, verse 9, where Jesus promises his church, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan come and worship before your feet to know that they might know that I loved you. What encouragement that we find here in Daniel. What encouragement we have from Revelation 3. Yes, that those who oppose us, those who persecute us, those who... Those who mock us for holding true to the, to the truths of who God is as a sovereign God. A God who's in control of all things. A gospel that is a foolishness to the world. All of those who sneer at this in our universities or in politics or in courtrooms or, or wherever you go in the media. Guess what? They're all going to change their tune one day. They're going to change their tune. They will come and they will worship. Yes, God above all. They will bend the knee to King Jesus. But they will also give honor to a Christian who stands firm, who stands firm on the Word of God. I think of this in so many places in Scripture. You think about Jesus Himself before Pilate and Herod and the Pharisees, continuing to be that faithful witness. You think about Joseph before Pharaoh in Egypt, Moses who come before Pharaoh in Egypt, Elijah before Ahab, Jeremiah and John the Baptist before Herod. All of them needed to stand fast on this rock the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings. And they had to lift up God in His glory 
and in his beauty. I think of uh, a Puritan named Richard Hooker who said this. When he was preaching, and as he would focus on the glory of God, it was said of him that he seemed to grow in size as if he could pick up a king and put him in his pocket. Pick up a king and put him in his pocket. This is, this is what faithfulness and this is what faithful living and under the king of kings does. It takes people when we seek to live to the glory of God. It takes people, it, it can put them, as it were, in our pocket. That's what's happening to Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel's putting him in his pocket. Men of God who are absorbed by the glory of God are humble like Daniel here. It's not that we boast because we can put men in our pocket, but it's, it's God and it's His glory that does so. There was one time another uh, reformer named Richard Melville, and he was asked to respond to James I, the king of England, because James I wanted to be called the head of the church. And Melville said this, We will yield you your place in the nation, but you are not the head of the church. You cannot give us eternal life, and you cannot deprive it from us. You need to know your place, O king, in other words. You see, when we lift up the glory of God, when we know who our God is, and we know Him as the King of kings, It gives us a whole different perspective on all of life and all the kingdoms of this world. Nebuchadnezzar has to here confess the glory of God and the significance of Daniel. And yes, God will make sure that Nebuchadnezzar doesn't end in Daniel. We'll see that in chapters to come. And yet, Nebuchadnezzar here showers Daniel with a whole list of gifts Possessions, praise, power, position. No, Daniel doesn't take all of these gifts so seriously and think that, that these gifts are what he, what he ultimately deserves. No. After all, he knows that the head, Nebuchadnezzar, is going to be crushed by this rock. And, and he knows that he belongs to a superior kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. And so therefore... He can use these opportunities even in Nebuchadnezzar's palace. Even as he ensures that he does not set his heart on the pleasures and the privileges he receives. He recognizes, just as we all need to recognize, the world's honors, the world's treasures, they're all fleeting. And so also is the world's persecution for that matter. But the kingdom of God, it is solid. It is enduring. It will endure forever and ever. And Christ is that exalted stone, the rock of offense to many, but to us, the rock of ages, the king of kings. This morning I want to leave you with another moment of suspense. Another cliffhanger, as it were. With this question, will Nebuchadnezzar, will he truly recognize the God in heaven? 
Maybe you saw a hint of it already in his confession. Maybe you read ahead in Daniel 3 and you probably have the answer. But maybe the cliffhanger should be this. Maybe the suspense ought to be this for you and for me. Have you, have I truly bent the knee to King Jesus? Have we bent the knee to Him? Have we submitted to His kingdom? And is that evident in our life? The God in heaven. The God in heaven who dealt with the kingdoms of the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, and the Romans. He will do the same thing to every single person. That rock of offense, if Christ is a rock of offense to you, will one day also crush you and will spread you as chaff is driven by the wind and their place will know it no more. But see, when we fall on our face before God today, and we bend the knee to King Jesus and confess that He is Lord to the glory of God, then, then, dear congregation, the God in heaven will receive us to the honor and glory of the One who has died for us. You see, the God in heaven today lifts us up, lifts us up to see the kingdoms of this world from a heavenly perspective. The Romans thought they took the stone and crushed it by nailing it to the cross. But the Lord Jesus Christ could not be held in the grave. No, He rose again. He ascended to heaven. Today He's seated at the right hand of God in heaven and He looks down at the kingdoms of this world and He sees specks of dust when we see big statues of bullies and splendor and all kinds of greatness. But God sees specks of dust. For in heaven, He sits enthroned and He reigns. And in heaven, He calls from heaven through that stone to you and to me to come to be welcomed into His kingdom. How will you spend your energy this week? How will you live to the glory of God in this week? Or will you be dreaming of building statutes for yourself in this world? What is your hope in this life? What is your hope for the next? He's coming again. And in his kingdom, as he comes again, will he welcome you and say, well done, you good and faithful servant. Welcome to the joy of the Lord. Is his kingdom central to you? And is everything in your life, all of your kingdom ventures, are those worldly ventures becoming like chaff as the clumps of idols are crumbled before you and crushed by the gospel itself and blown away by the wind so that you might rest in God's unshakable, unsmashable kingdom. There is a God in heaven. 
His way is plain. His truth is simple. He calls you and he calls me to bow before him today. Amen. O gracious Father in heaven, you are the one who has from all eternity prepared a way that sinners such as us might be received in your kingdom. You have given your only begotten Son who lives and reigns forever. You have given him to be king of your kingdom. O Lord, may each one of us bend the knee today and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God our Father. O Lord, hear our prayer and prepare us for kingdom service despite the intimidating statutes of this world the intimidating kingdom power, the earthly kingdom powers. But Lord, we pray that in all things we would serve you and you alone. And that we, O Lord, would be like Daniel's in your kingdom, knowing the security of your kingdom and yet working and influencing and being faithful representatives of your kingdom in this world, even in the kingdoms of this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.